So good morning. Eight and nine. Um, so before we, we read chapters eight and nine, uh, Yaku was talking about the, the leaders thing that we meet sometimes during the week. And this past week, we were um, at a prayer, like a gathering of praying in, in Mississauga. Politicians, a bunch of people were there. I was overwhelmed a little bit with how many people were there. But um, Hazel, what, what's her last name? Yes, she was there. Used to be the mayor of Mississauga. Now, there was a ton of people there with, I would guess, some sort of reputation, some sort of authority. Hazel was completely different. Hazel was called up, and she was sitting facing the opposite side of the room, and the person on stage was calling her up. It was her turn to come up and say a couple, few words. And Hazel didn't hear the person. She was turning 98 that day, or the day after. So she's up there in age, yeah. So the person gets off the stage, or someone goes up to Hazel and kind of leans in and says, Hazel, it's your turn to, get to, to, to go speak. This 98-year-old lady shot up out of her chair and ran up to the stage. And people like, literally got out of their seats applauding Hazel. And for me, it was the authority that she brought with her life, with her reputation, with everything she had done, just absolutely blew the place out of the water. Am I wrong? It was just like a complete change in the room for Hazel and one thing she said was, we can pray and pray and pray. What matters is the action. And I think that's what we'll see in chapters 8 and 9 of Matthew. We can pray and pray and pray, and Jesus will do the action in our lives. And interestingly enough, like Hazel, sometimes we'll pray and Hazel didn't hear. Sometimes we'll pray and we think God didn't hear until God gets up and does something. So pray, pray, pray until God does something. So let's read chapter, we'll go through chapter, yeah, you know what, we'll read, we'll read. And we'll stop at chapter 9, verse uh, 11, sorry, 12. So we'll read from chapter 8 all the way to chapter 9, verse 12. It's a lot of reading, just bear with me. So here we go. When Jesus came down from the mountain... Uh, large crowds followed him, and a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one but go, show yourself to the priest, and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him, and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to, the, to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness, 
In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. When Jesus came into Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and waited on him. When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Now when Jesus saw a, great, uh, uh, saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Then a scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was, was being covered with the waves, but Jesus himself was asleep. And they have come to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. He said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, What kind of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? When he came to the other side into the country of the Gadarenes, two men were demon-possessed, who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way. And they cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other? Son of God, have you come here to torment us before the time? Now, we're, now there was a herd of many swine feeding at a distance from them. The demons began to entreat them, saying, If you are going to cast us out, Send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. And they came out and went into the swine. And the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the waters. The herdsmen ran away and went to the city and reported everything, including what had happened to the demoniacs. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they implored him to leave their region. Getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over the sea and came to his own city. And they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes said to them, to themselves, This fellow blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, then he said to the paralytic, Get up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he got up and went home. But when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and glorified God, who had given such authority to men. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at, ta at the table in the house, Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And that's where we'll leave off. 
So there's a new, there's, Jesus has just finished the Sermon on the Mount, all the teachings from chapters 5 to 7, and he's coming down the mountain. And the first, the, the, the end of chapter 7, it says, when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds, were, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. So he comes down the mountain, and if we follow the story that Matthew has put in front of us, the leper is the first person. There's a big crowd following Jesus, but there's a, the, the leper is the, the person that comes up to Jesus. And he says to him, Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I am willing. Touches him and makes him clean. And this, this, this is huge in that culture. The lepers were people that were outcasts. They were not to be uh, you know, mingled with. They were not part of society at this point because of their contagious disease. And Jesus, the compassion on his heart, touches the leper and heals the man of leprosy. But that's not where it finishes. Jesus says, go and show this to the, to the priests. Offer them the, the gift that you are. And if we read in the Old Testament, Leviticus 13 and 14, if a leper was found to have leprosy, he was supposed to go to the priest, and the priest would determine if, in fact, you have leprosy. And if you do, you were supposed to be put away from all of the community. And only the priest, after seven or eight days, can figure out if you have leprosy or not. The point is, Jesus is touching him, healing of his, of his leprosy, to integrate him back into community. The healing of the leper is allowing the leper to be part of the community of the people of God that he is going to Jesus for. You can make me clean, Jesus, if you will. And Jesus says, I will. I'll clean you of your leprosy and I'll put you back into the people of God that you've always been meant for, that you've been created for. So the question for us is, how do we treat the outcasts and the, you know, the, the poor in spirit? The Sermon on the Mount, like Yaku preached, Blessed are those that are poor in spirit. Jesus is blessing the poor in spirit, the leper who has nothing to offer. How do we treat those people in our society? Because, like Craig was saying, be the hall. In our lives, sometimes we are the, the words of life that Jesus is to people. We are the hands that touch people and heal people. How are we acting on the words of Jesus? To restore people, to hear the words of God, to come see the salvation of God. The Bible speaks about us being new creations, new identities, and having new identities in God. And, and Jesus is showing us and fulfilling this in the leper. And the leper acknowledges, interestingly enough, acknowledges if it's Jesus' will. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane says the same thing to his God. It is your will, Father, to be done. And Jesus to the leper says, it is my will to do this for you. So this, the, the leper is acknowledging the authority of Jesus, that new authority that's never been seen before. Never has anybody touched the leper. A leper hasn't felt a hug, hasn't felt a word been said to him, hasn't heard anything other than, I am a leper, I'm supposed to be away from everybody. And Jesus heals this person. And we move on to the centurion. So again, the leper acknowledges this authority of God and it, that authority is revealed and we see the centurion seeing the same thing in Jesus, this authority in Jesus. Coming to Jesus um, and literally telling Jesus, begging Jesus, my servant is at home, paralyzed, he can't move. What, you, Jesus, you can do anything you want. Just say the word. And Jesus says, I'll go and heal him. 
I'll go and, and heal him. And the centurion says, I'm not, unworthy to he- I'm not unworthy for you to come into my house. And Jesus says, okay, so what would you want me to do? Just say the word. The centurion sees that Jesus doesn't have an authority of the world. The centurion says, I have people under me. And anybody in this world can have people under them with a bit of favor in this world. That authority comes to any man. But the centurion notices Jesus has an authority that's from above, not from under him. He has an authority inside of him that the world does not see. And 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 27 to 29 says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. With all the authority that the centurion has, he cannot do anything for his servant. Jesus can. And that's what Jesus marvels at, that this centurion has faith of the authority that Jesus brings from the Father. And no one in Israel is noticing this at this point. And sometimes it's the people that we least expect, literally that we least expect, like Yaku said, to see this authority, to notice this authority, and to follow this authority. And, and, he, and Jesus uses the, the story of the Gentile, of the Gentile centurion, the enemy of the people of Rome, to prophesy over what will happen in the days to come. He says to him in verses 11 and 12, Many will come from the east and the west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of God. He's using the centurion's faith to show this isn't just for Israel, Israel. This is for the whole nation, all of the nations of the world. He's using this story to look at the Jews that are following him, the big crowd that's following him and says, you guys are following me for one thing, for your favor, but the favor of the Lord is for everybody, and the centurion is showing us this. The centurion is showing us this. In Romans 2, verses 29, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. The authority that Jesus is bringing is circumcising hearts, not circumcising flesh like the Jews were stuck in. Jesus is bringing a new kingdom with new authority to restore outcasts, to restore untouchables, to be able to deal with the enemy in our lives. And the, and the centurion knows the authority of God's word. He doesn't even say to, to Jesus, you, I'm unworthy of you to come to my house, and that's okay. Your authority, Jesus, will overcome my unworthiness, say the word, and he will be healed. He will be healed. And there's, there's times in our lives where I think we, I personally need to be reminded of, we need to be reminded of, of the power and authority of Jesus. When he says something, it will come to pass. I'll give you a, a very cheesy example, but when I look back at my life, I can see, wow, God showed me something, God spoke something, and it came to pass regardless of my unworthiness, regardless of my unworthiness. When I first saw Kayla in high school, this is going to be a cheesy example, but it's for real. I saw Kayla the first time in grade 10. She was in grade 9. She's a year younger than me. And I saw her, 
I was on the second floor in the high school, and we had like a piazza area where everybody would come in, and that's where all of the people would hang out. And I saw Kayla, and I looked at one of my friends, and I said, it's kind of, it's kind of bad because I was with someone else at the time. But I looked at my friend, and I said, I'm going to be dating that girl before I leave high school. And the kid looked at, I, I had no idea what I was saying. That's just what I felt. And I look back and it's grade 11, something happened and me and Kayla were dating. And now we're married. And now we're walking with God. Like for me to meet Kayla, was that love and that relationship brought me into the goodness of God. So like the leper, the outcast, outside of God's will, the centurion heard a word. His mind was renewed by the words of Jesus, by the teaching of Jesus, awestruck by the authority of Jesus. And just a word clicked with that centurion and said, I don't even need you to do anything. Just say the word. You have authority that I don't have. You have authority from somewhere else. And for me, I look back at that example in my life, and it's, Everything that happened from me saying that word that wasn't even mine completely changed my life. It completely changes the leper's life. It completely changes the centurion's life. It will completely change the outcast that we decide to speak to and touch and be with. It'll change the enemy in our life that we decide to bow down to the authority of God and say that man is loved by God as well. That woman is loved by God as well. And his authority of Jesus, as we'll continue reading, it's over our situations, it's over our lives, it's over our sicknesses and diseases. Look at verse 14 and 15. When Jesus came into Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law, so Jesus' mother-in-law, lying sick in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and waited on him. Jesus is healing people to restore them, He's healing people to do something they could never do in their life and healing people so they can get up, wait on him. In other um, translations, it said she got up and served him. He's healing us so that we can do what he's called us to do, to, to do what he's called us to do in other people's lives. And for the big crowd following, so again, the, the crowd is just following Jesus wherever he goes and seeing all of these moments, whether they understand it or not, they're seeing all of these moments. And now we, we get to a point in the story where there's people that just want to be with Jesus. They just want to follow Jesus. And we see in verse 18 and 19, now when Jesus saw a crowd gathering around him, Jesus seeing something else, the crowd thinks this is, this is great, this prosperity thing, this healing thing, this authority thing is great. We want to be with Jesus. We want to be with Jesus. And Jesus says, we're going to go to the other side, to his disciples that he had already called out. And a scribe comes to him and says, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. I will follow you wherever you go. What does Jesus say to him? The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus is about, we're about to get to a part in the story where following Jesus... 
is not always sunshines and rainbows. It's not always about healing and prospering in the things of God. It's sometimes being in the storm, having nowhere to rest your head except in Jesus, except with Christ. Jesus gives a, uh, uh, there's another example where someone else comes up to him and says, I'm going to follow you. It's okay that I don't have anywhere to rest my head, but just let me do this thing first. Let me bury my father who is dying, which in the Jewish culture was a huge thing. It was one of their commandments to honor their father and mother, which would include, if they're dying, to prepare their burial ceremony. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead and follow me. It's like when there's a fire in our house, for one of us to get up, the fire alarm's going off and we can smell the smoke, we're coughing, we can feel the heat and someone's saying, hold on, I need to grab my Xbox. Or hold on, I need to grab my phone charger because I don't know how long I'm going to be out there. And Jesus is saying, you can't do that. There's an urgency in following me. Come and follow me. Leave those things. I'm in fact going to bring death to life. Leave those things. And here we go. So he gave the orders to go to the other side of the sea in verse 24. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being covered with the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. He said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, What kind of man is this? that even the winds and the sea obey him. Sometimes following God and following Jesus will feel like we're in the middle of the storm, will feel like there's waves crashing in on us, and we're literally dying. That's what it might feel like. And, G- and, and we forget the fact that Jesus was the one, we're going to the other side. So Jesus told his disciples, get the boats ready, we're going to the other side. A storm hits, so the people that are actually following Jesus, a storm is upon them that they feel like they're dying, and they're forgetting, you men of little faith, that Jesus was the one, we're going to go to the other side. We're not going to die in this boat. We're not going to die in this storm. We're going to get to the other side. And he gets up and rebukes the storm, rebukes the waves, and there's there's a stillness. And the men, again, the people following him, the centurion notices something, the leper notices something. But the disciples, what sort of man is this? What sort of man is this that even the waves and the sea obey him? They still aren't getting the picture, right? Even all of these things happening, we still don't get the picture. And the surprising thing is, again, like the centurion, the surprising thing is who we get the answer from. They ask the question, what sort of man is this, that even the winds and sea obey him? And we will be surprised who gives the answer. Like the centurion, we'll be surprised who gives the answer. You know? And it's, it's, again, if we look back at our lives, it's surprising to see how things happen in our lives, how things work out in our lives. The first time I met Alessandro, for example, we, I don't know if he remembers this, the very first day, in, when I moved to Milton, there was third recess that was reading time. And the people in the classrooms in this grade, it was pretty crazy to me, decided to match people up against each other to fight each other. Yes, this is what people did in Milton. I have no idea. 
So I'm sitting there just minding my own business, and lo and behold, someone, Eric comes from Toronto. You know, Toronto's a bit of a crazy place. Alessandro was probably one of the bigger guys in the class. He said, Eric against Alessandro. I had no idea who this was. I had no idea if he knew how to fight, if he knew how to wrestle, what was going to happen. And we ended up wrestling, blah, blah, blah. And that started a friendship. That started a friendship. And again, it's incredible to see how God surprises us. It's incredible to see that the the disciples ask a question and the demons are the ones that answer it for the disciples. The demons are the ones that answer for the disciples. Who won? I think I did, but that was the last time I won. (laughs) So when he came to the other side, the country of the Gadarenes, or Gerasenes, if you read the Gospel of Mark, this is a mostly Gentile area. How do we know that? Because we see the swine, the pigs. It was a herd of pigs. Commentaries say 2,000 pigs. If you read the Old Testament, you'll find out the Jews cannot be associated with pigs. Like, they cannot be associated with lepers. They cannot be, uh, be associated with pigs. That's how we know this is a mostly Gentile area. And... There was two demon-possessed men. They were extremely violent that no one could pass by that way. Keep that in mind. Nobody could pass by that way. And they cried out saying, What business do we have with each other, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? There was a herd of many swine feeding at a distance from them. The demons began to entreat him saying, If you are going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. Nobody can pass that way into that region because of these two men, demon-possessed. And the, the, the demons are saying, don't cast us into the darkness. Don't cast us into death or destroy us. Cast us into the pigs. If we can get into the pigs somehow, maybe we can stop people passing by into the region with the pigs. Lo and behold, the pigs go off of the mountain. One of the guys that he was uh, released of this demon runs up to Jesus, runs up to Jesus and decides, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. And Jesus says in, in, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, I believe, not in Matthew, but he says to him, go back and tell the people of the glory that you've just experienced. Go tell the people of the goodness of God. Nobody has been able to pass by these two guys. And now the gates have been opened. Again, the prophecy of the Gentile centurion from the east and the west, people will come and recline at table. This is what Jesus is fulfilling. He came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. With the leper, he tells him, go and present yourself as a gift offering to the priest. You read the Leviticus 13 and 14, there was a, 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 a sacrifice, a law behind the leper being decided to be cleansed or declared cleansed or declared clean. There was a law to be fulfilled for that. And that's what Jesus is doing all throughout the Gospels and all throughout our lives. And even more interesting, the region sees that these people have been set free and they say, leave us, leave us. That, those pigs was our income. Those pigs was our inheritance. Those pigs were our lives. Leave us. We don't need you to destroy any more of our lives. And the question for us is, how many times do I, do we prefer pigs over Jesus? How many times do we prefer things in our lives over Jesus? 
And Jesus leaves. They ask him to leave, and he leaves. And there's a riddle that I heard. I don't know where I heard it, but it just stuck with me. Of two types of people on Judgment Day. Like the, like the demons say. Um, what are you doing here before our time, really? Are you here to torment us before the time? And there's two types of people. One will say to God, your will be done. Like the leper, like Jesus in the garden. Let your will be done. And the other type, God will say to the person, let your will be done. Like the people of that region said, God, leave us. Jesus, leave us. And Jesus left them. Jesus left them. You know? And I, I honestly, I think of that, and that's when the real sense, for the, for in, in the culture that we live in, the real sense of fear of missing out is going to happen. The real sense of FOMO will happen on those days where we ask Jesus to leave us. Leave us where we're at. In Mark chapter 8, verses 35 to 38, it says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his, forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of, whom, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And C.S. Lewis in the, in the book Weight of Glory says this, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. We hold on to so many things in our lives that we think is our life, when in reality, like C.S. Lewis says, the sun, Christianity, God, Jesus is our life, and by it we see everything else. We'll push, the, we'll push that example a little bit further. The moon does not reflect its own light. The moon is beautiful, lights up the world at night. It reflects the sun's light. Like we are, if the moon stays close to the sun to reflect the light, so we should stay close to the sun, Jesus, to reflect the light and be the light of the world. To, to the people that we see that are in darkness, even in our lives that we are in darkness, stay close to the Father. Like, Jesus, uh, like Peter's mother-in-law was healed, got up, waited for Jesus, served Jesus, served the people around in the house for Jesus. Scott Hubert wrote an article saying, you are not you without him, and he says this, the God who made us in his own image has not given us the power to create a self that cannot survive on its own, that can survive on its own. From the beginning, our true identity, who we are, has been tied to our creator, who he is. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created man. Genesis 1.27. God created us to be like the moon, cold and barren on our own, but aflame with light when we come near the sun. And again, there's, there's some things that we will lose on the way to the other side, that on the way with Jesus, following Jesus. But I believe it's things that are meant to be lost in this life, are meant to be lost with this life. So when I was finishing school, <clears throat> um, I was, we, me and Eros would have to do a lot of running and training during our summers, and we were about to head back for our last year of soccer or end of university in New York. 
and I was running with my older brother one night. And he, um, again, you're surprised by who, who asks you some things. Um, he asked me, what are you going to do after, after university, after soccer? And I answered, what do you mean? I'm going to be a professional soccer player. This is what I'm training for. And for me in my life, I didn't know at that point that that was something I was holding on to. My identity was completely tied in that with a lot of things. And a question like that absolutely started something in my life where it was storms and waves crashing in. But the authority of God to change our hearts, to circumcise our hearts, to see that the things that we do are gifts of God, not our life. I was a Christian soccer player, Christian soccer player, and God, with the waves and the storms in my life, was trying to show me. You are meant to be more Christian than soccer player. You are meant to be more Christian than a business owner. You are meant to be more Christian than anything in our lives. So Jesus leaves that region and comes back to his own city in chapter 9. Getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over the sea and came to his own city. And they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes said to themselves, This fellow blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed, and go home. This, if you read, if you read the, uh, the, um, the account in Luke, in Luke when I was reading this, I thought to myself, this must have been the first like Cirque du Soleil performance. You've got a big crowd of people gathering in a house, and there's so many people that the friends of this paralytic man have to bring him from the ceiling. And I was thinking that must have been that alone must have been crazy to be there. But Jesus says to him, "Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven." There's sometimes, and. This might not have been the case because he was paralytic palsy, but there's sometimes if we just freeze there at verse 2, that we may feel paralyzed by our sins, that we may feel paralyzed by the situations we're in. And because of the faith of the friends of this guy, Jesus has the moment, the opportunity to say, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Chantel, I made sure this was okay, but Chantel, I remember... I don't know how long ago this was, but she said a testimony. She came up and said a little testimony of she was in a car accident. It was like a bumper to bumper, and she ended up having to pay for the accident. And in that moment, in that situation, 
there was no obstacle for her to to bring the love of God into that person's life. I think she said she had to pay, I don't know how, like three, how much? Right. Right. So, and, and Chantel, when she said the testimony, what stuck with me was, it cost me a few hundred bucks, but that was more than I was willing to do. to help this person see the love of God. The friends of this guy is what Jesus sees, marvels at their faith. There was no obstacle that would stop these people from bringing their friend to Christ. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Not rise and walk, your sins are forgiven. And up to this point, up to this point, the Jews and the Pharisees and the scribes have no problem with what Jesus is doing. Healings, you know, weird sayings, uh, people being restored. They've got no problems with that. But once he says your sins are forgiven, now we've got a problem. Now your authority is over my authority. Now I've got a problem. And Jesus they're saying this to themselves and Jesus. There is no thought that's, naked, that's not naked to Jesus, that's not hidden from Jesus. Jesus hears these things that they're thinking and says, why are you thinking evil thoughts? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Jesus has the authority to heal our situations to heal our sicknesses, to heal our diseases. And their examples, their revelations that he has the authority to do what no man can do, to do what no doctor can do. Forgive us for our sins. Heal us from our disease of sin. And the question, the question is, do we praise God for our souls ultimately or do we just praise God for the situation we find ourselves in? Will we only praise God for taking us out of that situation of the paralytic man, or will we praise God for forgiving our sins and having eternal life with him? And he sends the paralytic man again. There is reason, there is, there is expectation. He sends the paralytic man back to his home. Go home, be a blessing to your family. And now, for me, it's the culmination of all of this story in chapter 8 and chapter 9 in the call of Matthew. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. Seems like a simple story. A tax collector was considered the worst of the worst of the worst for the Jewish people. The tax collector was taking taxes off the Jewish people and giving it to the Romans, and in the meantime, making money in between of that transaction. They were, they were feeding the enemy of Rome for the Jews. This was the worst kind of person. And Jesus sees him, and says, follow me. And we keep reading, and it says, Jesus reclined at table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came, and were, were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. 
And again, when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. If you remember back to the story with the centurion, he had told him, people from the east, people from the west, he goes to the other side and fulfills that prophecy. And now with the call of Matthew, the sinners and the tax collectors, the people that you're supposed to hate, reclining at table with Jesus. Jesus had told the people, people will come from the east and the west to recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus fulfilling that covenant, fulfilling those promises to be a blessing to all the people, to all the people. And Matthew, like the paralytic man being told to go home and be a blessing, brings other tax collectors and sinners with him. We just read the story, oh, he followed Jesus, and now Jesus is sitting with tax collectors and sinners. Matthew followed that God, followed that word, and brought people with him. Alpha. This is what we do with Alpha. You're bringing people with you because of what God has done in your life. And this word rise, so Matthew rose and followed him. This word rise has been used all over. He told the paralytic man, rise and walk, go back to your home. Uh, um, Peter's mother-in-law rose and served him. Jesus was, was when his uh, disciples were, told, uh, were telling him, we're perishing, save us. He rose and rebuked the storms. And this rising is what Jesus is, is, is gunning for in our lives, to rise from our situations. To, he will rise us from death to life, from darkness to light, from chaos to order. This is what Jesus is doing in our lives, in our culture, in our society, if we follow him. And the weeping and gnashing of teeth will be from people always, in all of time, in all of time. The tax collectors, why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors? Why does he do this? Why does he do that? You're supposed to be this, you're supposed to be that. And Jesus says, there's a new kingdom, there's a new authority, and I'm revealing it to you. And he tells them, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I am fulfilling your law, and I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And if we keep reading, if you, if you keep reading the, the chapter and the rest of the gospel, you'll see that Jesus continues to demonstrate this kingdom, continues to fulfill everything that he said he would do. He goes and heals uh, a girl from death, brings her to life. Heal someone from a discharge, the woman from the discharge of blood, continues to do all of these things. And in the end of chapter 9, the Pharisees, he had, he had released someone from a demon possession again, and the Pharisees say to him, you're casting out demons by the power of the prince of demons, or by the power of the ruler of demons. For all of eternity and for all of history, people will always question what Jesus is asking us to do. And this is Jesus' response in between all of that attack. He says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. In the midst of all all of these storms, in the midst of all of this attack from the outside, the harvest is plentiful. 
The harvest is plentiful. And he tells his disciples, pray for the, to the Lord of the harvest for workers for the harvest. Don't worry about the attack. Don't worry about the storms and the waves. Pray for the workers of this harvest. Pray for the workers of this harvest. And to find out who the workers are, you'll have to come back next week. You'll have to come back next week. We'll move into chapter 10 next week. If you can stand up and pray with me. Father, thank you for your son's life. It is incredible to be reminded, Father, that it's 2019, we're in Milton, Ontario. Praising your son, worshipping you, Father, because of what Jesus did in Jerusalem thousands of years ago. The authority of, of your son's life, Father. This kingdom that never, never ends, it'll keep on growing does not depend, Father, on the attacks that we feel or that we go through the storms that we go through. Your kingdom, Father, will keep on increasing by your Spirit because of your Son's life. And for that, we thank you, God. We praise you, Father. And God, we stand here acknowledging your authority. The words that you have are authority in our lives. May you reveal this authority, Father, more and more in our lives so that we may be a blessing to all people in all circumstances, in all situations. Father, by your Son's name, Depression has to go. The control of finances over our lives has to go. Father, it is your will that sickness has to go. Cancer cannot reign in our lives, Father. Cancer cannot control the way we live our lives, Father. Father, may we know as a people that even our unworthiness cannot control what you do, Father. May we come to you like the leper, like the centurion, Father, knowing that you can do things. You have forgiven our sins, God, and we praise your name for this. And we want to see your healing, Father, in people's lives, in people's minds. Not that we can praise the healing, Father, but that we can continue to praise you as a, as a nation, God. May the people see your glory. So that in the quiet times, Father, when we're alone, 
We desire to be with you, to wait on you, to serve you. Because it brings us pleasure and satisfaction that this world can never offer. Thank you, Father. Amen.